Hey, what's going on, y'all? Welcome back to another episode of Room 1710. Hey. <laughs> so um, today I got a real special guest with me. She was like one of the, actually, you were the first one I told when I first wanted to start this podcast. At least if you weren't the first one I told, you were the first one I said I wanted as a guest. So this is very special. Uh, but I have my friend Michelle here with me. Say hey to the people. Hey, people. <laughs> uh, so me and Michelle, we met, uh, I think it was back in 2015, 2016. I can't remember the year exactly. 2015 would make sense. 2015? Yeah. Okay, yeah, I couldn't remember the exact date. But uh, we had mutual friends, so we met at a friend's birthday party. Um, and just the way we connected was just unorthodox, I guess you want to say. I mean, because it's not normal. We just kind of started the conversation, right? So you were going through a breakup. Yeah. I remember it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a hard time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I remember it, too. I have not been the same since that one. But yeah. I'm better. That's good. That's what's important, too. I'm, yeah. yeah. I know yeah. so much more about myself, about life. Yeah, yeah. That's what's important. I, I think a lot of people forget about that. That heartbreaks can really teach you a lot of stuff. Um, but anyways, so I remember you were going through a breakup. And I remember at that time, like, I remember just when you were telling me this story, I remember, like, the pain that I felt with a breakup I had, like, years prior to that. Like, it was, like, one of the worst things I ever had to deal with. Like, I always had a time that any ex that I broke up with, it takes six months to get over her. But this one took way longer and was really hard. And so I remember talking to you about that. Um, you lived in another city before coming back to Houston. And uh, you kind of, you know, y'all broken up. And so I remember giving you advice and having empathy. I'm like, hey, you know, take your time with this uh, healing yeah. process. It's going to take some time. Because you were with them for how long? About three years. Three years. Yeah, that's a long time. And living with them for two or? Uh, no, we probably lived together for a year. A year. If you want to call it that. That's a different situation. But you really were very empathetic and Absolutely. you really, I really appreciated talking with you about that. And you were <laughs> so kind to me. Oh, you're welcome. I was in such a weird place, like with my emotional and mental health at that time. And you were just so safe. You were just like, don't worry about it. Like, it's going to oh, be okay. Man. <laughs> man, you make me feel good. You make me feel good. <laughs> you're welcome, though. Well, you, yeah, you really helped me through that time. Yeah. You you and that whole group uh, really yeah. helped me through a hard time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And really brought me back to life. That's good. And I'm glad, too. Yeah, that's what's important. And I remember just talking to you. You were one of the, like, first people that I known that was actually, like, very verbal about having anxiety. Mm -hmm. um, I, and I never really was too educated about it. I knew about depression or other mental illness and stuff like that, but just... Someone who I closely know, just talking about that, like, I never knew. Um, but I guess you can kind of, like, tell the story, like, um, like, I guess, when did you find out that you suffered from anxiety? So, actually, I was diagnosed, I don't know if it was anxiety or depression, when I was nine years old. Nine. So we knew for a long time. And then we just kind of forgot about it, didn't mm -hmm. do anything. And then it resurfaced again. Um, when I was a teenager, same thing, like, okay, let's put some, let's put Michelle on some sleeping medicine and like, 
maybe try some depression medication. Yeah. And then we didn't do anything after that. It was just kind of like, all right, this is what I have. This is, I just lived with it. But it was not a productive way to live with it. Mm. And up until this breakup, I had not learned how to live with an anxiety disorder. Mm. Um, and that affected my relationship in the sense that it got, I got to a point where my anxiety was so bad that I couldn't really get out of bed. Mm. It was difficult to go to work. And my boyfriend at the time was so not cool with that. Mm-hmm. He didn't understand what I was going through. I don't know if he just thought I was being lazy or what, but no, it really, it's real. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and um, I, I think that's a big reason why he left. We had gone to couples therapy together and we had talked about it. And the oh, yeah, I went to couples said, therapy too. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we did that for a while and it was really helpful for a long time. So once we understood that, like, this is what was happening, mm-hmm. he could logically understand that it wasn't in my control to a certain extent, that, mm-hmm. like, I wasn't going to just wake up one day and feel better. It was going to take therapy. It was going to take medication. It was going to take some time. Absolutely. And he just didn't have the patience for it. He yeah. lacked the empathy. Mm-hmm. He wanted that empathy. He tried to find it. He couldn't. Um, how long did were y'all dating before you kind of had this conversation with him about um, you know, your anxiety? If you remember, probably two and ago. a half years. After two and a half years. Yeah, it wasn't a part of my life back then, like it huh. was when I met you. When I met you, I was first discovering what it really meant to have an anxiety disorder. Yeah. And what it really meant to be depressed and what it looked like to feel normal. Yeah. Um, and, and get into a place where like I was functioning like a normal person because I had just been stuffing it down for so long. Yeah. Um, and so I was very, very vocal about it when we first met um, because I was excited about what I was learning. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Even though you experienced it at nine and then you said again at 13, but you were still learning more about it as you were getting older. Yeah. I mean, no, I, I didn't learn anything about it other than it was something I struggled with. Oh, okay. We didn't so do didn't anything about it except for like maybe throw some medication on me. Yeah. And put me in therapy occasionally. Okay. But there's a lot more that we probably should have done that mm. maybe could have prevented the yeah. like essential breakdown of like anxiety and depression that I had back in 2015. Oh, man. And so in 2015, that's when I started learning about all the things that we could do to help and prevent it from happening again. Mm-hmm. Do you know if there was anything that kind of triggered that moment uh, with your anxiety when you said that you couldn't get out of bed or it was just something that just hit? I don't know. Wow. It's a chemical imbalance. Yeah. So it uh, has to do with the hormones, serotonin, dopamine. There's a couple other in, th- in there that I don't remember what they're called. Um, I don't know. They just decided to come out one day and not leave me alone. Mm. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's a huge wave. <laughs> it just came and just didn't leave. Yeah, it happens sometimes. Oh, man. It's like worse than, like, you know, rodents in your house that won't leave, right? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's a horrible comparison. But, uh, but, yeah, like, even when I met you, I remember just you talking about that. And it's something that I would have never guessed um, something that, you know, I never knew that you suffered with. You just 
you know, just like how you are right now, you know, just very angelic, very open. I think most people who meet you don't, would never even guess that until, you know, getting to know you more mm -hmm. and you talking because you're very open about it. I remember you open with me. And so, yeah, that's. I don't think there was a friend I met during that time that did not know. That is true. <laughs> so open about it. Now I'm more chill. Um, I do still tell people about it. Yeah. Um, but it's not as big of a conversation anymore because you know, it's just kind of old news at this point. Yeah. To me. Yeah, and that's, you know, I always respect you on that, just about being open. Because I think one thing that, you know, a lot of us um, don't want to admit to or don't talk about often is our mental health, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, everybody does have, you know, some sort of mental health issues where it's probably, you know, being sad, being depressed, uh, anxiety, um, insecurity, all these other type of emotions that we all deal with. It's all, you know, a lot of things are in our mind or like you said, chemical imbalance as well. Uh, but I think it's like very important for us to educate ourselves about it um, as we grow, you know, uh, as we gather more information too. Uh, I even say as this too, I think it should be taught more in schools. Absolutely. I, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. We always talk about, you know, the other stuff, mathematics, science, that's all important too. But if you, I guess all through from what, kindergarten to 12th grade, you always do physical health. It's important to exercise your mental health as well. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that's something that we don't do and something that we need to do further. And this is something that we're doing to kind of push things. Well, you're absolutely right. We should spend as much time educating ourselves with mm -hmm. mental health yeah. as we do physical health. It's, it is as important. The only difference is that mental health is invisible. Mm. It's an invisible yeah. Disorder. Um, to the and, eye. Yeah. And so it that's it makes it a lot more difficult to treat. But um, it's kind of like if you had diabetes, right? Mm. You wouldn't not treat yourself with insulin. Yeah. If you have a mental health issue, you wouldn't not treat that. And, like, you wouldn't just sit there and, like, have a broken leg and say, oh, it'll get better. I'll yeah. just keep walking in and ignore it. No, it's not going to get better until you do something about yeah. it. Um, and I think that our society is getting much better. Yeah. Um, sorry, I'm laughing because there's background noise, <laughs> not because I'm laughing at this conversation. Um, yeah, it's a lot of background noise, but it's okay. Our society is getting much better at identifying that. And I do think that schools will take uh, more responsibility in educating um, the children of our future about these things. Yeah. And it's important to normalize the conversation because there's so much shame. Absolutely. Around struggling with mental health. Yeah. But especially with anxiety and depression in the United States, it is rampant. So many people suffer from it. It's, it's almost like, do we even just call it a mental health disorder or do we just call it like a consequence of existence in our society because it's so popular. Um, I'm joking about that, obviously. <laughs> yeah. So I guess one question I have with your experience when you said as a kid, you know, your parents, you know, took you to doctors, therapy mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Is there a such thing that you experienced or that you know of, of being falsely uh, diagnosed with certain, uh, you know, illnesses? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. There have been a couple. Um, 
ADD was one. ADD. That I got in college and also recently. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, recently my okay. therapist thought that I had ADD and I took a test in college and mm-hmm. it said, yes, you have ADD. And I took the medication. I don't remember. I think it was Adderall. And I had a reaction to it that apparently people that don't have ADD mm-hmm. have a different reaction to it than people that do have ADD. Really? Yeah. I never knew about that. Mm-hmm. Oh, that makes sense, though. Yeah. That makes sense. So then we were like, well, no, I don't have it. And then my recent therapist brought it up, took a test, and they said, no, you don't have it. You don't have but ADD. AD, but ADD looks a lot like anxiety in that you have a lot of thoughts floating in your head at the same time. Correct. So it's hard to focus. It's it makes it really it's like watching five different TV channels at the same time. Jesus. Um and it it's like that in ADD and it's like that in anxiety. Yeah. You've got five different things you're worrying about simultaneously. Um ADD, you've got five different things that are Occupying your attention. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So, I mean, um, was that, like, struggle being misdiagnosed? Like, how was that? Was that kind of, like, I don't know. What's the word I'm looking for? Just, um, I can't think of the word. But I guess, how was that experience, I guess? So, I was actually disappointed when we realized that I didn't have it. Both Mm -hmm. times, I was disappointed because I came out feeling so convinced. This is what's wrong with me. Yeah. This is why I feel different. This is why it feels like I think it's harder for me to do some things than it is for most people. Um, And I imagine that's probably easier to deal with than anxiety. It was so nice to have. I mean, I don't know that it's easier than anxiety. I guess it depends on the person and each individual's case. But I was excited because I wanted a name to it. I wanted, I Mm. thought, well, if it's a different diagnosis, maybe we've missed something. Maybe there's like a cure or like a better way of being that's just beyond the horizon. Yeah. So I was very excited. And then when we found out that wasn't the case, I was disappointed. Yeah. Are there kind of um, like other mental illnesses that kind of like overlap each other? Like, I guess, mm-hmm. like how you kind of saw with it being you being falsely diagnosed? Like, is that a very common thing? Yeah. So okay. anxiety and depression, which are the two that I struggle with. Okay. Those, I mean, it's from everything that I've learned oftentimes, almost always, overlap mm. each other. Mm. I think for me, I have an anxiety disorder, and then depression is a s- symptom of that, I guess, mm. sometimes, depending on how bad my anxiety gets. Mm. Um, and I think that, let's see, anxiety overlaps probably with any mental health issue that you could think of. Yeah. I'm willing to bet. Is I'm it, not a professional, yeah, but yeah. I'm willing to bet. But, I mean, um, I'm assuming that's probably anxiety. It's like one of the most common ones, right? Mm-hmm. Um, especially with the time that we're now in 2021, right? With the social media rising. Oh, um, yeah. Just all the other mental aspects we have to deal with. Like, I think I remember hearing something that... Um, like, the amount that you kind of scroll throughout a whole day is, like, the length from the... Uh, not the Eiffel Tower, but the, uh, oh man, why can't I remember it? The um, Lady Liberty, uh, the Statue of Liberty, mm-hmm. excuse me. It's the height. That's the height amount of stuff that we scroll. So it's like a huge amount of information or stuff that we're looking at. And so our brain, it's hard to process that. Um, all the different emotions that we feel, probably feeling left out or 
feeling left behind or not doing too much or probably even trying to keep the upkeep and stuff like that of the image. Mm-hmm. So, you know, mental health is definitely growing with as technology grows because we're being more social creatures. So it's kind of being more exposed to that. Yeah, being more exposed to uh, comparing yourself to others. Absolutely. Others only showing you their highlight reel. Yeah. Um, and then also I think mental health is increasing with the development of technology and that we have access to so much information yeah, that and too. just like I have a friend of mine who was telling me, I I feel so overwhelmed with the amount of information. I cannot contain it all. I cannot consume it all. And really? it gives me so much anxiety. Wow. Yeah. And is this person like in school or just like just information is, that they're just kind of constantly yeah, seeing? Yeah, just information that he's constantly seeing in the news, on social media, articles yeah. he's reading. Um, yeah, yeah. And then, and then you have to think about the type of information we're getting. We have all of these medias sensationalized, sensationalizing everything and that brings up a lot of emotion. So mm-hmm. it's just so complex. False information, different perspectives of a mm-hmm. situation. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. You're right. That that does, that's a lot. Hearing about bad news more often. Especially when we're in quarantine, right? Like, that was the worst. So how was life for you though? Like, you know, you know, being isolated. Um the isolation actually wasn't so bad. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't so bad to keep away from people. I can see that. I, I it had its moments being great. Tend to not like people. So yeah. um I so that was actually energizing for me. That's good. One, because I'm an introvert, and two, because I experience a lot of social anxiety. Mm. And so not being around a ton of people, there was less opportunity for me to feel anxious. Yeah. Um However, with everything that was going on in the news, um, that made me more anxious than I would have been if I was just every around people normally, Mm -hmm. like I would be. Yeah. That was a conversation I was having with one of my friends. Like, I'm definitely, after 2020, well, you know, and this year, like, I'm really not opposed to, like, going to therapy because I don't think we really understand everything that we went through with quarantine, with everything that was happening on the news, with uh, the George Floyd, like, mm-hmm. you know, execution and stuff like that. And I don't know if you remember, uh, but I was talking to this one by my friends. Like, I remember just, um, it might have been, like, in June or something, like, all across the United States, there were, like, sightings of people being hung and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, we, we, we forget about a lot about that. We kind of compress it, kind of like how you did. You kind of, like... You know, put it in a box. Yeah, you put in a box and you kind of forget about it, but it's there, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of us have dealt with a lot of things during that time that we don't recognize. And even in the beginning, too, I remember um, like the suicide rate was like really high, like in the first month. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like, you know, everybody wasn't out and about, or, you know, I guess that put the forefront of, you know, what people go through because. For the most part, all you had was you and yourself, or you, you might have a spouse as well, but it just put everything out there. And so, yeah, it was tough for a lot of people. So that's why I was kind of asking you, like... So I actually, yeah, speaking of people, just it being tough on people, mm-hmm. it was very interesting to me, the dynamic of how introverts handled this and how extroverts handled it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> all the introverts are like, 
this is amazing. Man. (laughs) All the extroverts are like, I don't know what to do with my life. This is crazy. I'm going stir crazy. I experiencing all new mental health issues that I didn't even know were there. Yeah. Meanwhile, I kind of felt like, well, this is how I feel every day trying to live in an extroverted world. So yeah. Yeah. To jump into a whole nother world. <laughs> Take yeah. That. I mean, I wasn't panicking. I'm an extrovert, right? I wasn't panicking like that, but it was very hard. It was, it was really hard. I'm just, I like, you know, even with this podcast, I like talking to people. So it was very hard to just, you know, just stay at my house and just not move, just be stationary. I didn't really have any mental things that I had to overcome per se, maybe a little bit, everything, probably just being single, you know, like that was. That affected me even more, just being single and just staying in the house. And I'm like, I don't know when I'm going to be social again and start dating. That was hard, too, especially being in my 30s, right? You know, that was a lot. But, um, but yeah. yeah. I dated virtually. You dated virtually? Mm -hmm. I couldn't do that. We did, uh, well, one guy that I dated. And we did, like, what felt like a bunch of dates just, like, over Zoom. Really? for a few weeks before we finally decided to meet each other. And that was helpful? Yeah. Man. That's good. Yeah, it wasn't so bad. He he was also introverted, so. It worked out. He's a weirdo like me. You didn't mind. <laughs> <laughs> You're not a weirdo. You're not a weirdo. Not at all. Not at all. So, um, you know, I guess quarantine was good for you, but uh, what are kind of some of the things that, like, you do in your free time or things that you do to make in your time to help you with your anxiety? Is there any kind of testimony you have Oh, yeah. That? So, things that I do. I go scuba diving. Scuba diving? Okay. And I plan elaborate vacations. And I spend, <laughs> like, an entire month planning a vacation. And how'd you get into that? Well, I mean, you know, I know this, but, you know, this is for other people. Sure. We're friends, so. How did you get into scuba diving? Uh, my parents were divers. Really? And I never so, knew that part. Uh-huh. Huh, okay. I kind of grew up with their stories. And got to a point where I think I was just really, I was turning, how old was I? Turning 30. I know this was how I got into traveling. I was turning 30. I was feeling very anxious about turning 30. And I was like, I need to do something big. Yeah. I can't handle these feelings. And so I planned this crazy vacation to just go across the entire country of Costa Rica for nine days. Yeah, you did start traveling a lot. <laughs> and then not to the big cities. You went to just like... The middle of nowhere. Yeah, places. yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to scare myself. I had to get... I had to distract my, my mind. And that was a really healthy way to do it. Yeah. And uh, scuba diving was another one of those ways to do it. I needed to find something that um, was going to o- occupy my mind that was going to be interesting enough. And... A lot of people say it's weird, Michelle, that you have anxiety with everyday things for no fucking reason. Mm-hmm. But then you go and you do solo hiking in bear country and you swim to 100 feet and <laughs> dive in shipwrecks. What yeah. is wrong with you? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't. I can't explain it. But um, scuba diving has challenged my anxiety. When I first started diving and I was mm-hmm. taking my course, mm-hmm. I had to pretend to lose my regulator, which is the apparatus that provides the oxygen to your mouth. And I felt so anxious about trying to find it again. I couldn't complete that skill test. Mm. And the um, instructor was like, listen, I don't think you should continue with this. And I said, no, like that. I'm going to do this. This This is a lifelong dream. Anxiety does not belong here. 
Absolutely. I, I cannot let this affect this part of my life too. I need something that, yeah. that feels like I can win. Absolutely. Um, and for some reason, because there are other areas in my life where I can't stick it out. I can't overcome the anxiety and it's really difficult. But for some reason in this area, I could. Yeah. And when I'm diving and I have a moment of anxiety, like the current's going too fast and I fear that I'm just going to drift away from everybody else and get lost in the middle of the ocean and I'll never see anybody for the rest of my life and it won't last very long. Um, life or death situations in my head, at least. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm able to say focus. If you panic, it could get really dangerous, so you cannot panic. Mm-hmm. And I can control that panic when I'm diving. Wow. I don't know why it works that way. Yeah. But it does. Yeah, that's actually like pretty amazing and like brave of you to even actually explore that because like <laughs> that is something that like when we talk about like deep sea diving the water and stuff like that, like we're still constantly learning about it. It's mm-hmm. what may be equivalent to space and stuff like that. Like we we know less about our own oceans than we know about really space. about space. Mm-hmm. Damn. But here it is, a girl who suffers from anxiety is able to go where, you know, you're not supposed to go. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the, the thrill of it, too. It's like, I am not supposed to be breathing underwater right now. Yeah. <laughs> and, and look at me just defying what my body is supposed to be capable of doing. Yeah. Um, so does do, you with you being able to do, you know, those tasks, does it kind of help you with, like ordinary or what people could probably consider small stuff or it's just kind of like the same no matter what like there's no formula to it I don't think there's a formula Mm. no I don't know when my anxiety is gonna decide to act up and when it's not there Mm. may be a time where I'll feel like going to ACL and be totally cool. You said ACL? Yeah, oh, like Austin, Austin, City, Austin okay. City limits. I forgot. Um, And then there may be a time where it's like, no, this year, it just feels like a lot and I don't want to go. Yeah, yeah. So it's like loud noise and like a lot of people can probably be too much sometimes, right? Yeah, so I think there's a fine line between introversion, social anxiety, and being a highly sensitive person in that area. Yeah. So what a highly sensitive person is someone who processes their senses Mm -hmm. more intensely than 80% of the population. And there is science behind this. Okay. Um, And I have been told that by my therapist, multiple therapists, that I am a highly sensitive person. Um, So things like movement, noise, Mm -hmm. Rough textures, hate rough textures. They will irritate me mm-hmm. or just distract me and I'll get I'll get tired more mm. quickly than like the average person will because there's just so much stimulation. Yeah. Um I don't remember how we got to this. Just kind of me talking about it. Um, but I think either you or maybe somebody else I was talking to about this, but um like the equivalent of like anxiety, because you mentioned sensitivity, right? Yeah. So you know how like when people are probably drinking or probably even, you know, smoking weed or something like that, like there's certain senses that are heightened, right? Mm-hmm. And so anxiety is like feeling like that all the time. Maybe not necessarily like the good feeling of being highly sensitive, but... No, I don't think it's like being high or drunk. Well, I meant like the paranoia part. 
Or I don't know that I get paranoid. But it's not like that either? Okay. No. It's more just like, imagine you have like, oh, maybe this isn't something that bothers most people, like an irritating tag on your shirt. Oh, okay. And it's just there. <laughs> and it's just constantly irritating you all day. And there's nothing you can do to get rid of it. Yeah. Um, and then by the end of the day, you're just tired because that, that's been sitting there irritating you. Yeah. The entire yeah. time. And people think. But with a, like a lot of different things all at once. Yeah. People think it's a small thing, but it's like something you're dealing with and it's irritating. As that's hell. such a good. Yeah. People uh, think it's a small thing because yeah. to most people, they don't experience it with the same level of intensity. Yeah. They think this is no big deal. Yeah. Um, and it, it just, yeah, just feels bigger. And it is bigger, actually. Or apparent. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely it is. Um, but it also makes me a good designer. <laughs> a good designer? How so? Well, like, uh, like if I think about interior design, mm -hmm. um, graphic design, you have a better sense of the things that affect people unconsciously because mm. they affect you more obviously. Okay. I can see that. I can see that. And then that makes you a better designer. Well, okay. So you're talking about interior design, right? So how does, you know, your anxiety affect you in your career and your school? Yeah. Like, how was that like? Oh, it was really hard in school. I, when I was a kid, I used to wish I could be homeschooled. Mm. Because I think just, especially when you're in high school, you're going from room to room every hour. Yeah. There's just so much going on. Dealing with some mean-ass kids, too. <laughs> Luckily, I wasn't bullied. Oh, really? I was just a normal kid. That's good. Yeah, so, but it didn't matter. I didn't have to be bullied because I was anxious anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you was already dealing with that. I see, I see. <laughs> um, and then in college, I really struggled with the interior design program. It's a lot more intense than most people think. I would... A lot of people compare it to nursing school, architecture. Wow. Um, there were times that every student would stay up for probably three days straight, miss holidays because of the amount of work. In interior design? Yes. Wow. Yeah, it was pretty intense. Um, so it was hard for people who didn't have any mental health issues. And mm -hmm. it was even, I think, more difficult for myself. So I went to the Office of Disabilities, and they were accommodating they came up with a strategy that we thought might help. And I went to go have my professors sign off that they would work with me on these accommodations. Well, half of the professors gave me a hard time about it mm. because they did not understand anxiety. They did not understand why I would need this accommodation. I don't look like I have a disability. I don't sound like I have a disability. Talking yeah. to me, you wouldn't know. Yeah. Um, so I think they just thought that I was being lazy or... I mean, I have no idea what they thought, but they were definitely judgmental. And that made me feel even worse. And this was back in what year? Do you remember? Oh, God. So or 2009 around. to 2011. Yeah. So we definitely really weren't talking about it or knowledgeable about it as much as we are now. No. No Ten way. years ago. I had one professor try to persuade me to stop studying interior design. Really? Because of it. He just didn't... It, oh, that really pissed me off. Yeah. That really pissed me off. Um, and then at work, at work, I think my social anxiety, whereas in school with, like, design, it was more of, like, my perfectionism, my, yeah. like, just wanting to 
turn in the perfect designs every time. And when, it, when that wouldn't happen because no designer is perfect, Correct. I would get very upset. Yeah. Sort of like someone who has OCD and stuff like that too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And actually um, another diagnosis that I've had is not OCD, but just having like obsessive tendencies to ruminate. So my mind will constantly go over that conversation that I had with my boss. Um, I think that's a common thing too. But it'll happen to the point where like, I cannot sleep the entire night. Oh, okay. That's different. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a different. And, and wow. even if I try to distract myself, the thoughts will just come back. And yeah. that gets really annoying. I was struggling with that last week, actually. Um, and then, oh, yeah. So with work, with work, it's more social anxiety, especially in the corporate environment. Mm-hmm. Because especially in the corporate environment that I was in, which was very, like, old school... We'll just call it old school. T- traditional. Traditional. Cons- well, well, we could say conservative. Conservative. Cause... Boys club. Ah. And I I don't do well in that environment. That's not my natural personality. Mm. Um, and so my social anxiety there was really bad. And I think that in some ways affected my ability to be successful with that particular group of people. Mm. So were you kind of open about, you know, the things that you suffered with, with the people who you worked around? Yes, okay. I was. I think that's important, you know, because um, I imagine some people, you know, if you're having a bad day or just a bad time, some people probably take that personal or they may think... That was my issue, though. Oh, really? That was exactly my issue, is okay. that I was having a bad day. Sometimes I can't conceal it. Yeah. I cannot fake a smile sometimes. And I don't know if that's just part of like me having a disability or just me having an issue with not being authentic and genuine and <laughs> completely separate. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they my my boss wanted me to be sit down, shut up, and look pretty the whole time. And I couldn't always do that. Oh man. Um and so if people were noticing that I was having a bad day, I guess they would take it personally. Yeah. So how did you just kind of manage through all that, you know, with... I didn't. I quit. Yeah. I quit great. and I started my own company. And then yeah. I was like, hey, yeah. if you guys want to be my client? They were like, well, your work's good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's a hard thing to, like, spend majority of your time at work and to be misunderstood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's tough. It Being misunderstood is a big part of it. Yeah. And it is very tough. Yeah, and that's kind of why, you know... I definitely wanted to talk to you and just talk about this whole thing because, you know, there's a whole misconception about it. You know, like how you said um, with your professor or I think your ex-boyfriend, they just had this in their mind because they never experienced anything. But, you know, oh, she's just lazy. Yeah. You know, or she's just lying or she's being extra or she's being dramatic about it and stuff like yeah. that. Right. Or too sensitive is one sensitive. that I've heard yeah. a lot. But it's just like, I think, you know, people think that in their personal life. But when you think about like, like, you know, I say music and music is like a form of art when people kind of express themselves through art. Right. Mm -hmm. So like about what they've been through. So we had countless, you know, seen countless times of like Eminem talking about the things that he had to deal with his mother. Right. I'm pretty sure like his mother, I'm not a doctor, but I'm pretty sure his mother had some issues and stuff like that. Like we hear that. We, we we see other people talk about it, artists, you know, movies or anything of that nature. But when it happens in our personal life, 
we kind of ignore and we think that they're just making excuses, but it's yeah. an absolutely real thing that, you know, everybody deals with this. It's not just for show or an excuse or whatever people may think, but it's a real thing. It's an absolute real thing. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be some dramatic um, expression in order for it to be an illness that significantly yeah. impacts your life. It doesn't have to be obvious either. Like, you know, Eminem's mom, clearly. Yeah obvious issues there. Um, in my sense, it's not always so obvious. And I think that's why we went so long without properly treating it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And one thing that, you know, um, I will say too, with it being like men's uh, mental health month. Hooray. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think is like really important because as a man, really, I feel like we probably struggle the most with probably diagnosing ourselves or if anything, the most part, talking about things. Oh, yeah. Like, we have a huge, even for me, you know, I, I'm okay to admit, we have a huge problem being vulnerable or talking about things mm -hmm. because we really weren't raised to be that way. We were kind of raised to have a certain role in life. And so usually kind of when you think about when you need a man's help, right, it's for probably his muscles or things of that nature. You don't really think about the mind or them being supportive or talking about things or, you know, all that articulate type of stuff. You know, we were always convinced that, you know, that wasn't our place. Um, so I think it's, like, real important to, that we have that type of month because, yeah, a lot of us men suffer. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think it is much... I think it's significantly harder for men to identify admit to and treat mm -hmm. a mental health illness because of the way we've socialized males in this society. It's it toxic, toxic masculinity is one of go. my favorite terms yep. because yep. it's, it's out there and it, we have a lot of work to do in that area. A lot. Men a lot. experience the same amount, the same issues emotionally. Yep mentally as women and yeah. they deserve to have a space to recover from that and be treated for it yeah and and to identify it and it's really just such an injustice to the male community um that men have been raised to not acknowledge their emotions yeah. not allowed to be emotional yeah it's not fair it's yeah. not okay yeah so i'm glad that we have things like mental health month for men yeah to bring awareness to that yeah 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 absolutely because if we don't then you if we're not if us men aren't able to talk about it aren't able to you know express our feelings aren't able to cry whatever the case be necessary it's gonna leak out in some other form that's not healthy you know right uh, it, it can be an abusive man you know verbally physically Mm -hmm. um, you know, just not being able to handle those emotions that he's feeling and able to kind of release it in the right, healthy way. Right. Um, and, you know, even in, you know, the relationships that we have, the connections, you know, it could be with, the, you know, a woman or even like with our, you know, our male friends and stuff like that. Like there's even that type of disconnect, too. Not even able to be able to talk to about, you know, problems in a relationship with your male friends because it's like, nah, just man up, drink a beer, watch some boxing, some football, which is all good. Get Don't get me fight, wrong. It'll all be better. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm for that, but I mean, not in a fight, but, you know, I'm for all the other, uh, 
all the other um, things that, you know, we do sports and stuff like that. But, um, but yeah, yeah we, we, we have to talk about things. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a, it's an avenue for healing that is underused yeah, in the male yeah, population. Absolutely. absolutely. So I do have a question for you though, is, um, you know, if you have someone that, you know, you think that's probably suffering from any type of uh, mental issues or anything, like, how do you gently tell someone about that? Yeah, so I recently had a friend who experienced a tragedy, and she stopped going out with her friends. Mm. She started isolating herself. She started like the things she was talking about was just, I could tell by the way that Mm. she acted just kind of a general vibe and the things that she talked about just starting to feel more encapsulated in grief. Mm. And because she wasn't doing the things that she typically would enjoy, I just kind of said to her, look, I'm noticing this behavior from you. I think this might be a symptom of depression. Mm. And um, would you be open to some suggestions about how I think you you may be able to feel better? How'd she take that? Good. She took it good. Yeah. Yeah. I think when you when you are addressing or trying to have an intervention with someone that you think is feeling sick um, or struggling with a mental health issue, it's good to come to them without blame, without making them feel guilty or ashamed. Um, just talk about what are you observing? What do you think is happening? Mm-hmm. Ask for permission to help. Because oh, if you okay. just go in there and you say, this is what's going on with you and you need to do this and you need to do that, most people are probably going to be like, no, that's not me. Yeah. No, I don't need help. I'm fine. Yeah. But a trick that I've learned recently that you can use actually in many different areas is ask for permission to make a suggestion. And people will be much more open to hearing what you have to say. Hmm. And so if you ask for permission to help them, they're yeah. much more likely to be like, okay, yeah, maybe that's something that I could try. Yeah. That's Especially it. because people don't want to admit that they have a mental health issue. Yeah. It's not easy. Yeah. Absolutely not. Yeah, that's that's hard. That's a, that's a good suggestion. What about um, if you know any um, things that people can do to like overcome anxiety or yeah. any other things? Like, is there stuff? There's that a you lot recommend? you can do, and what works will change from one person to the other. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually wrote down some notes. Let me reference them. Go ahead, take the time. <laughs> um, okay, so there's therapy. Yes. The one that I think most people are afraid of. And even if you don't have anxiety, go to therapy. Yes. Seriously. Talk to somebody if you're not. Yep. Um, Working out. Okay. Yeah. Eating healthy. Absolutely. All of that will affect your brain. Absolutely. Um, On a physiological level, that can help you with your mental health. Um, Preoccupying your mind with a hobby. Care for someone else. Okay. Do a good deed. It makes us feel good to take care of other people. You need more of that dopamine and serotonin, those feel-good hormones. Do that. 
do the emotional work to heal from past trauma. That's a big one. Um, for me, identifying and naming what I'm experiencing mm-hmm. and just understanding it, hmm. not even necessarily doing anything about it, but just understanding what it is and educating myself was a huge piece of coping with it. Okay. Um, medication, if you have to, if nothing else is working, go, go with some medication. See a psychiatrist. Yeah. Um, Psychiatrist will administer medication. A psychologist will help you with like talk therapy. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. That's the um, meditation and mindfulness. Mm. Uh, being aware, taking a time to like stop throughout your day, just a few moments. Notice what's happening in your body. Mm-hmm. Notice what's happening in your emotions. Um, how when I'm feeling angry, what mm. does my body feel like? For me, my face gets hot. I start shaking. Um, if I'm feeling anxious, I'll mm-hmm. get, um, my hands, like my fingers, I'll need to do something. Like I have this toy with me that has like, I don't know, 10 sides on it. And I just play with it when I'm feeling anxious. Cause it gives somewhere for that it's outlet to go. Yeah. So when I start getting re- really fidgety, I know, okay, I'm feeling anxious right now. Yeah. And then don't judge that emotion once you identify it. Mm. Okay. I'm feeling anxious. That doesn't have to be good or bad. It just is. Yeah. And and start to become comfortable with that. I think that's a big part of mindfulness. It's just, just let it be. It's okay. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, lifestyle management. So for me, uh, preventing burnout is a big way to How cope you with anxiety. Burnout? So I'm mindful. Okay. I I take I take um, inventory. Where's my energy level? Mm. Um do I really have energy to go to this event that I've committed to? And if I don't, that's okay. I won't go. I'll take care of myself. Yeah. Um, and that's important too. I noticed as I gotten older, I, if I ever have an event and I invite people out and people don't show up, I learn not to take it personal. Yes. Because you really never know what people are going through. I, I used to take it personal because you base your love or popularity off of who shows up but it's not always about you other people have other things and so i think that's important you're basing your self-esteem or your self-esteem is dependent on who shows up you're and dependent on your popularity even better said exactly right yep i agree with you right there um so yeah lifestyle management like it's i guess that would also go along with like eating healthy working out yeah um not doing too much if you feel like you can't handle it or doing more if you feel like that's what helps you. True. True. Um, thought management. Um, viewing your thoughts as a mental event that's separate from your character mm-hmm. or from what is true. Okay. So, for example, I'm talking to Jarvis and suddenly I just think, <laughs> Jarvis hates me. <laughs> <laughs> Those thoughts happen. Jarvis hates me and it's spiraling in my thoughts and what I need to do in that moment is just say, okay, this is a thought I'm having. Um, it may not be true. Mm-hmm. It's probably not true. I think Jarvis is fine. It is not true one And <laughs> this is not a thought I'm having right now. I'm just trying to think of something for the sake of example. Yeah. And it's not indicative of my character. Yeah. It's just a thought. It's not a part of me. And it just may, it's, may or may not be true. Yeah. So understand that even if you have thoughts that are uncomfortable, it doesn't mean that you're a bad person or you're unworthy or whatever. 
practicing self-compassion and a, not being angry with yourself if you have a mental health issue or if you're struggling. That's so important too. That's very important. I think that, yeah, that's so important. Be gentle on yourself mm-hmm. or gentle with yourself. Excuse me. You know, just the way you treat your friends, treat yourself the same way. Yes. Yeah. Because you're not going to, I mean, a good friend is not going to be hard on their friends, right? You know, you're there for love and support. So give yourself the same type of emotion and energy, I guess you want to say. So that's very important. Also, I guess one thing I'm going to add to that, probably I'm not a doctor, but I would imagine sleep is very important as well. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, because sleep can affect a lot of things. It sure does. Yeah. So does hunger. Hunger? Really? I think that's for anybody. (laughs) That makes sense. That makes sense. So eat good. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Enjoy life. Um, and then I think I had one more on here. Um, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. It's um, okay, I've never heard of that. Yeah, it's it's a thing that I've learned in therapy. So you challenge your negative or in, in, inaccurate thoughts, hmm. um, and you restate them in a positive or logical term. Okay. So, That's example: Jarvis hates me. Okay. Well. Maybe Jarvis doesn't hate me. This is a bad example. I don't know. I'm nervous. <laughs> so I am not communicating the way that I would want to if I wasn't on this podcast right now. No, you're communicating um, well. But CBT, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. Yeah. If you're struggling with anxiety, look it up. It could help you. Yeah, I think that's important. Challenging your thoughts. Like, why do you believe what you believe? Uh, kind of, yeah. Or I'm a bad singer. And so then you would tell yourself, I am not a bad singer. And you would just, you know, practice these things over and over again. They're kind of like affirmations. I was just about to say that's sort of like positive affirmations. Yeah. So something to kind of, I guess, something you need to read every day to kind of remind yourself. Yeah, okay. So I definitely want to um, leave people in a hopeful mindset mm-hmm. um, because I want people to know that, um, you know, no matter what you're dealing with, you know, you're here and you can overcome anything. And also, you know, make sure you stay here because you can. You have the ability to. Um, it takes a lot of fight within that. Um, you know, I don't have all the answers. There's not, and also, there's not one formula you can do. But it just helps to just, one thing that I do know is as long as you continue to put one foot in front of the other, things are going to work its way out. I don't know how long, um, but things do change a lot. You know, we can't predict the future. Our mind thinks we can. We think we can imagine anything that we are all knowing. But, you know, keep on living and things will change. But uh, is there any hopeful information you'd like to give to people as well? Or If you're in a bad place, it can get better. Simple as that. I have been in a bad place so many times in a place where I can't get out of bed, where I'm just in debilitating emotional or mental pain. And I'm still here. I've gotten up and I've gotten out of it every single time. Yeah. And you may be feeling a pain that you've never felt before, but you can overcome it. You really can. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, you know, everybody, I want you to, you know, definitely take care of yourself um, talk to anybody and everybody. Don't be afraid to. Um, talk to your friends, your family. Talk to me. <laughs> you know, I'm willing to talk to anybody. That's always happens. But 
yeah, you know, definitely be aware of everything that's going on with yourself, with your mind. Uh, but yeah, you know, Michelle, I greatly want to thank you. You know, uh, it's been a pleasure because like I said, this is something that I definitely wanted to talk about. And I'm, I'm very honored uh, that you are willing to talk about this and be open because a lot of people aren't open to talking about a lot of things. And, you know, we, in order to go forward, we have to really just kind of lay it there out on the table. And so like, thank you for just being here and talking um, and getting me to talk about myself as well. You know, I, I'm a person who's very private um, working on it, you know, being more uh, open, hence this podcast. You hear me talk about more stuff, but um, but it's not easy. But, you know, I do want to thank you for this because I think it's tremendous you being here. My pleasure. Yeah. I'm, I am excited that you invited me to be on the podcast and I'm always excited to talk about mental health. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's very interesting to me. Absolutely. And absolutely. I want to normalize the conversation because it is so normal. It is. I can like not express that enough, it especially is. with anxiety and depression. It is so normal. It was just covered up for many years. Mm-hmm. Or we didn't know what was going on. Well, I just mean like for people to experience it's so normal. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no shame in that. None at it all. It doesn't make you a bad person. It's not your fault. You didn't do anything wrong. You're not lazy. You're experiencing something. Just like everybody else. That can be helped. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Uh, I'd like to close out. uh, And I'll see y'all again. All right. 